Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to our podcast, Med Family. I am the host, Eric Acker, again with Karen this week. Hey, guys. Yeah, this is our 44th episode. <laughs> it was yeah. just, I just looked it up. So last week we did our special episode with Seth Elu, Patrick Bevins, and... Brandon West. Yep. That was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed doing that. And I don't know if Karen enjoyed wrangling kids. But <laughs> I'm sorry if you heard any noise in the background. I was trying to keep them in bed. <laughs> there, was, there was some very uh, tenuous moments during that. I don't know if it came out in the audio or not, but like there was even a moment when one of the kids came out and you can hear the toilet flush. And <laughs> we typically record in our bedroom. Because it's a little bit quieter and we can hear the kids coming from about a mile away. But since we had so many guests, we wanted to try to do it in a more comfortable location. I feel like having people go into my bedroom is kind of a, an uncomfortable interviewing environment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small room. It gets hot <laughs> quickly. And then it's also your bedroom. <laughs> so um, they did it at the kitchen table <laughs> last week. And I was... It was close to bedtime, so you we had the oldest two that their constant routine of coming out and needing a drink and then needing to go to the bathroom and needing hugs and kisses and needing to know who was at the door and what friends were here and could they see the friends and could they say hi. All the things, very, right? Delay very tactics. Important. <laughs> yeah, so it was a kind of a, a rougher a rougher go for the for the podcast, but we, I think I had a good conversation. Hopefully, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, you give it a, sh- a listen. We're hopefully hoping to have a few more special guests on in the future, but we just couldn't miss the opportunity to have Seth on there and talk about his experience because, hey, he's the first person I knew who went through the match as I knew him. So it's you know a great opportunity to see it from their perspective as they experience it and then you're going to of course listen to us as we try to experience that same hopefully same outcome not not just emergency medicine but a match anyway so uh that was last week and last week i'm actually a little impressed with myself i actually got the episode done no we didn't we recorded the episode the week before we just released it Last yeah, Wednesday. yeah, it was supposed to be our backup episode for <laughs> surgery. <laughs> for surgery. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, I think Eric has been feeling the squeeze the last few weeks because he had Dr. Lomboy, which was very busy. And then um, he had his three weeks of online, but his first week of online, um, he spent half the week with Dr. Lomboy, and then he took our daughter to an eye appointment and... Since she's so young, it's all the way in Atlanta because that's that's where the specialist is that that yeah. treats kids. A pediatric ophthalmologist yeah. that accepts Medicaid so, insurance. Yes, so that's a whole day, <laughs> base, a whole day trip, and then um, so he and I can't remember what else happened this, that week, but he basically lost a lot of study time that week. He was doing good just to get his three eye humans done for 
the I am call on Sunday. And then this last week, he's spent the whole week with... Um, Dr. Jalad. Yeah, Dr. Jalad doing cardiology. And then he, again, was trying to <laughs> trying to get through his iHumans in time and still like have some sort of family time and get some sort of studying in. And so this week it's like, I really have to study because my, my shelf exam is Friday. And so we ended up using our, our backup ep- yeah. <laughs> episode way too early, but <laughs> yeah, I think t- it was good. Typically I would have gone through a process of like giving the audio to the people who participated in the episode just to have us do a final check off. Typically, I would have done that. They never objected to anything, so I guess I'm good with that. But <laughs> well, you asked them before before they walked out the door if there was anything they wanted to edit. I, mean, I, did, I did delete a few lines that I thought wasn't going to work well for the episode. Didn't change the meaning of anything that they said. It just no. wasn't necessary to continue uh, to to have on the episode. Yeah, but and we've had we've had all of them on before, and so they kind of know the process they and, yeah and they know if they ask you to go back and change something you will yeah yeah that's been been a, a kind of a, a given but yeah with dr dr jalad uh all we had so yeah like karen said i started monday with dr jalad and he's the cardiologist i weeks ago connected with her thanks to a friend of mine chris who had her for three weeks and i was able to arrange a quote unquote shadow rotation with her and I say that that way because she more or less treated me as if I was another student that was with her. So there was another student there. there, And so when she asked questions, the questions were to both of us. And when she asked us to do anything, it was to both of us. So most of it was more or less a shadow rotation. We weren't like laying hands on patients and doing anything. We might listen to a heartbeat here and there. But uh, all in all, we were maybe pre-rounding rounding with the Dr. Jalad and then watching her do procedures and then presenting because every day if we uh, with Dr. Lomboy he would give us topics or he would have us come up with topics and we would present Monday, Wednesday, Friday with Dr. Jalad if you couldn't answer a question that's what you were presenting the next day and so that could be more than one thing (laughs) it could just be the, the topic one thing that you missed but in either case so every day we, you know, we, we didn't answer a question, and so we had to look it up and present it the next day. And that, that's great studying as material as well, because then you overstudy for it. Now you know all that you need to know for medical clearances, for, you know, when a patient comes to you for preoperative clearance for cardiology, what are you looking for? And now you know all of that stuff. And so that was a, a good way to learn it, and just the same as, like, different different waves and ECGs, and again, this is cardiology, so it's a a lot more reinforcement of the ECGs that I learned with Dr. Lomboy, so that that was exciting. So it wasn't just me and Dr. Jalad and the other student, it was me, Dr. Jalad, the other student, a resident, and uh, one of her nurse practitioners. I don't know, whenever whenever we rounded as a a whole team, and also there was a nurse practitioner student there as well. So whenever we rounded as a team, it was uh, three, six, six yeah, about six of us. And so we're like a pack of six people moving down the hallway. And like everyone knew that it was us that was coming. <laughs> everyone, even one nurse would, would, would put on kind of a cheer 
section as we walked by that was a little awkward but <laughs> i think she had a lot of energy because she was teaching a bunch of nursing students but then the patient's eyes as you entered the room you know dr jalad comes into the room he's like okay great i'm talking to the cardiologist then it's like one person in a white coat another person in a white coat Three other people coming through. <laughs> well, just imagine how that might look. Oh gosh, I was, I, it's so bad that I, I have all these people I'm like dying. <laughs> So it's it can you can imagine patients' eyeballs got really big and then like Dr. Jalad is she beats to her own drum is the best way to put it and she would just kind of turn back and like, these are my students and, and then just keep going like it didn't really didn't cause her to break her pace or anything like that and. So that, that's how rounds went. Uh, but like realistically, rounds went with, uh, I don't know how to say this, but chaotic might be the way to say it. And I don't know if it was just like an, a chaotic week for her because she was on call for like most of the week or if it was just chaotic because that's just typically how her schedule goes. But it was, she would walk down the hallway. She'd get a phone call. She's talking on the phone, answering the question as quickly as she can. She jumps into the patient's room. She talks to the patient. As she's talking to the patient, her phone's going to ring. She's going to answer it. She's going to talk really quick. And if it takes a little bit longer, she's going to leave the room and come back into the room. And she's going to talk to the patient some more. And then, like, it's just her phone's constantly going off. It's work-related stuff. And then, of course, it's, like, it's either people talking, asking her for consults or asking her for advice on certain patient that they're dealing with or it's like the cath lab downstairs saying hey the patient's ready on the table when are you going to be here and of course the answer is oh yeah i'm heading right there right now and you know three patients later the phone rings again <laughs> is the patient still on the table we're we're ready to get started whenever you get down here oh yeah i'll be right down there like it, obviously these aren't STEMI patients these are scheduled caths so they're not it's i don't know it's hard to say that because you don't want to make it i don't want to make it sound like she's ignoring patients and she's purposefully being late because she's not she's trying to accomplish as many tasks as she can in a short period of time well you can correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like cardiology is one specialty where your patients are very forgiving of you because if they have an emergency they want you to drop everything to help them and so they're more willing to be okay with you dropping them for a more emergent patient and they're more okay with being rescheduled because something else came up because they, I, I don't know. I feel like you got less complaints on this rotation than you got with like pulmonology or whatever, where people didn't complain about the medication that they were supposed to be on, or they didn't complain about the cost of what procedures or whatever. They just nodded and said, okay, because their heart, for some reason, and it's weird because I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but like, your heart beating mattered more to these patients than breathing. And both will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, both will kill you. Like, and obviously, like, nebulizers and inhaled medications can be very expensive versus, I don't know, adenosine or amylodoron. You're not really getting adenosine, but amylodoron, uh, daltasm, any number of drugs are typically cheaper than most pulmonary drugs. But... In either case, I think you're, you're really right. A lot of patients were very forgiving of the tardiness or how busy Dr. Jalad was because they understood, hey, if I, need a, if I have an MI, she's going to be there and she's going to take care of it. And I heard it from actually multiple patients who, you know, they mentioned, 
hearing another patient complain about how long it's been since they showed up and why they haven't been seen yet. And they'll tell, you know, they say, oh, I told those people Dr. Jalad saved my life, so I don't care if I have to wait two hours to see her. I'll, I'll wait two hours. So most of the patients were relatively happy to, not, I don't know, happy, but like very willing to wait two hours to see her, one hour to see her, because they appreciated the amount of work that she did. And then there were, of course, some patients who just talked your ear off. We had a few that... Um, were very, I don't know what the right word is, but they, they were very chatty, very, very <laughs> chatty. And if you, you caught yourself in that room, you could, if you, you could, could be there for like 30 minutes and something like that. That was like on day one when we just rounded with the nurse practitioner that like we got caught in one room for like 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And yeah, that was, that was an exciting time, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was interesting to watch her because it, again, it, you're, you're rounding on patients and you're running down back down to the calf lab. She's putting her lead apron on. She's getting her, um, sterile gown on and she's doing an, you know, doing the quick timeout. Then they make their incision. They, they put the catheter in if it's on the right radial, left radial sometimes, or sometimes they use the ulnar artery. And then they're, you know, shoving a guide wire in. They're taking C-arm uh, pictures as they go, sometimes fluoroscopy, some contrast dye. They're doing a whole bunch of stuff just to take a good look and see what's going on with the, car uh, the cor uh, coronary arteries, which gave us me and the other medical student, a good opportunity to watch what they were doing. And depending on the orientation of the C-arm, try to figure out which coronary arteries we were looking at. And that's like the first challenge. The first challenge is, what are you actually looking at? Like, is it the left ascend, um, ascending, oh my gosh, left anterior descending? Is it the left circumflex or is it the right coronary? And so a lot of that, a lot of the times it was just like, what am I looking at? Where is what? And then like by day three, it was, you can hear all the nurses gasp or make a noise whenever they would inject the contrast and then trigger the C-arm because they could see something. So day three was, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? What are they seeing that is so shocking or is so interesting to them? So that... That was it. Cause it's actually really interesting that a lot of the nursing staff, the circulators, and even the um, equipment reps that were there, how well versed they were at the anatomy and what they were seeing, and even to some degree, like what equipment would be used or should be used, what sizes would be used based off of what they were seeing, and they were pretty accurate. And they have they have their opinions on all the doctors too, which is a, a little <laughs> bit different. Well, I know when you were doing the surgery scheduling for orthopedics back before med school, like it was always amazing to me these reps that would come in with all the machinery and everything, and they'd be telling the doctors, "Okay, this is what you do," and it's just sitting. It it was just interesting to me that. Somebody who is not in the medical field, who is... They might have a bachelor's degree. Right. And it might be in business. <laughs> right. They're, they're telling the doctors how to utilize all this stuff, but the doctor has to 
had the throughput, right? They had to be trained on it as well. But generally speaking, like this newer technology. So like, okay, how do you want me to do this? Yeah, which is kind of, I mean, isn't that odd? Well, they had, they had, like, one procedure, they had, like, a probe that would have, like, an ultrasound on the tip of it. And they they wanted to use it for mapping. So what they would do is they'd take a shot of the, the entire heart with a little bit of contrast injected. And then they would advance the probe and press a button on this machine. And as you advance the probe, it was supposed to basically log okay, you advanced so many inches or millimeters and that would equate, and you went down this artery on this image. And so if you said, oh, look, I see a little bit of calcification right here on the ultrasound image, it would tell you, oh, that's right here along the LD, L, uh, LAD. And it's like, oh my gosh, you can, so you could then take the pro that ultrasound probe out and put a balloon in and do something else with a balloon or a stent or whatever you need to do. So that was like a whole different technology, but the entire time the reps like, okay, now advance, 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 stop, wait, don't move anything. So like, it's a lot of coordination. And this was actually the only time I've seen a true observation room. Like in all the TV shows and videos, and maybe, maybe academic hospitals are different, but in all the TV shows, you see an operating room and they always have like an observation gallery or something like that, either above or on the same level, so that everyone can see what's going on in the OR. And everywhere I've worked, and even um, I'm sure I'm sure Houston's like this. When, once I get into surgery, I'm sure I'm going to see that as well. You don't. Nobody can see into the OR unless you open the door or you look through the glass window on the door. It's like a small little you know like jingle. It's not. They don't have. A spot where anyone can just sit and watch but and do observe. You, do you think that there's an observation room there because you have to wear the lead vest and all that stuff? Yeah. Kind of like it, when you do imaging, like the the radiologist goes behind into their little like see me right like yeah in cath lab that does make sense. You do need you do need some you need your reps there. You need you because in the room you do have doctor obviously the first assist and a circulating nurse and maybe another circulating nurse and they're operating at some point either the doctor's operating the c-arm or the nurse the first assist is operating the c-arm and so they're all working but in the control room you have somebody who's logging everything like oh they're using this kind of guide wire they're using this balloon they use they open this package somebody is logging everything at what time things were done how much contrast was being used and what time. And then there's the rep in there who's using the extra equipment. Like the, they had like the Philips, uh, I think navigation system or something like, and I, I wouldn't be able to tell you Then they also had other equipments. Uh, so one other neat kind of equipment they had was, uh, I don't want to say, well, you know how, if you want to get rid of kidney stones, you can use like a, a sonogram or like a mm -hmm. ultrasonic waves to break up the yep. stones. So they have something similar to it where it sends like a shock wave that's supposed to supply a lot of pressure, but not the way the rep described it was like, it's sending this an amazing amount of pounds of uh, pressure, 
to this to the vessel, but not in the same way as if you were to actually inflate a balloon. So if you were to inflate a balloon to 10, 10 mercury, it wouldn't be this, you know, you would very much expand this vessel. But if you apply 10 mercury in shockwave, it would not inflate the vessel. So you, the point being is that you don't damage the blood vessel because the whole idea is to break up the stones and not break up the vessel because mm-hmm. you do get calcifications and stuff like that. And it causes stenosis and whatnot in these coronary arteries. And so the, the, the basically the idea, and it's really not even what you think. Like initially I thought, oh, you're sending the shock wave, you're breaking up all this calcium. Now where's that calcium going to go? It's just going to go further down the vessel and clog something else up. And it was like, no, it's so stuck to the wall. So all you're really doing is you're taking like what would be a big bag of ice that's been stuck in the freezer for a long time and everything's frozen together. And then you're smashing it on the ground, but it's still in the bag. So now it's bendable. And so now you can put a balloon in there. So instead of you know trying to put a balloon in a blood vessel that has a rock in it, and that rock is just going to put pressure on the wall, the side wall of the vessel, and possibly rupture it. Now you've you've crumpled that rock into a whole bunch of tiny little pebbles. Now you can put a balloon in and expand the vessel out a bit, bit, and restore good blood flow. And then when you deflate the balloon, the rocks are still there; they're just not in the way. Which is a, it's an interesting concept. I guess yeah. they, I guess they're working on trying to apply that same methodology or technology to um the aortic valve because as we get older a lot there's i'm butchering my pronunciation here but um degeneration calcificative degeneration of the aortic valve which causes aortic stenosis which is a whole other set of heart issues as you get older you get most people get some level of aortic stenosis and it's just whether or not you get to the level you need a valve replacement is but they're they're trying to apply that same technology of breaking up calcium deposits to the aortic valve so that might be some new technology in the future that instead of doing valve replacements we just apply some shock waves to the aortic valve and get it to work again hmm. it's an interesting idea anyway sorry that's the calf, my whole point being is that the calf lab has a very big viewing space of lead-lined glass so that you could look in and see the procedure. It's not very up close. Like I'm not close enough to really see like how much they're moving the lines and whatnot. But uh, I think probably the weirdest part was like the fact that the patients are basically wide awake. Yeah, that is really weird. Because <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be awake with someone who was working on my heart, but yeah, I mean, I mean, they might give them something to relax them a little bit, but otherwise, they're answering questions and you know they're trying to have conversations. And I don't know, the the nurses in the the room would always joke that you're not allowed to say "oops" when you're in the room, but like my preceptor liked to use the S word constantly, so <laughs> it's a <laughs> it instills a lot of confidence, <laughs> <laughs> and then. It's all mic'd up, too. So everything that they say in that room, we could hear in the control room. And so, like, one of the nurse float, uh, nurse uh, circulators would be singing. And so you could hear her singing the entire time. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I guess whatever you got to do to get through the day. Was she good? <laughs> uh, 
I'm not gonna. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a good opportunity. And again, I had the opportunity to ask Dawson Jalad lots of questions along the way. So sometimes, I don't even to this to this day. I still don't know where these ECGs came from. But occasionally, we would come back to our desk because they have a ECG reading room where the doctors could read the echoes, the ECGs, and whatever. It's completely separate from the cath lab. It's in the same cardiology department. But anyway. We'd, every now and then we'd come back to get something from one of our bags or whatever, and then there'd be an ECG on our desk. And it wasn't something that the doctor had put on our desk. Somebody just placed it there, and they had torn off the interpretation. So somebody wanted us to... <laughs> have a second look. Have, have a second look at something. So that was kind of fun to kind of look over a whole bunch of stuff and try to try to figure out what we were seeing and make a diagnosis or make a, a guess. And I, I think most of the time we were uh, wrong. But it was good to try it. And then Dr. Jalad was very good with answering the question. Or if we were talking about it, she would ask me what we were talking about. And then she would look over it herself. And she would come to her own conclusions and tell us why she came to the conclusions. And if we couldn't <laughs> answer a question, then we would have to present the next day on the topic. So it was a very good learning experience, I think. And also... I. It does kind of show some of the dangers of the interpretation of the ECG. So sometimes the, the computer will overread those ECGs. And so after you tell it to read it, it will try to make a best guess of what it thinks it sees on those 12 leads. And the computer is just doing its best. You know, it's just a computer. It can't think like we can. And so your job is to look at what the computer interpreted and decide whether or not it's actually there because sometimes the computer will miss certain things or will overread certain things. So that was something we kind of learned a little bit as we went along. Anyway, it, it was it was a good opportunity, and then having some of the one-on-one -on -one time or one-on-two time, I guess, with the the first-year resident. He's a family medicine resident at Houston, and get, getting some insider information from him, getting some <laughs> tips and tricks from him, because he, he quizzed us a few times as well. Like, okay, he asked us how we would manage certain things. I don't think he thought my humor was funny, but because he, he asked us, I think he was asking us about what most shockable rhythms were. And I said, well, anything is, even asystole. And he didn't like that because it's not technically correct. It's not. Asystole, you should not shock asystole, especially if you're being tested. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why I said it is half joking. And this kind of goes back to when I was an OBGYN with Dr. Brooks. Dr. Brooks told me, and I, I actually do very much agree with it, is, is you run for your ACLS code. You run for your entire algorithm. You do, you give all the medications you can, epinephrine, you know, whatever, dalbutamine, whatever you got, you throw everything you got at the patient and they go flatline and you've tried shock, you know, you, you know, they, you know, before they went flatline, you tried shocking, you did the medication, now they're flatline, it's not going to kill them. Like they're already dead. So shock them again. You could shock them again. You can throw more medications at it. You can do, you know, it's like, so like, this is not ACLS, you know, what the algorithm says, but it's that last bit of, I think, the algorithm where it was like, ask other people for input, or, you know, what else do you guys want to try? Anyone else have anything, any good ideas? And so that was my entire point, was like, 
you you might consider it. It's not going to do anything. It's probably, you know, nine times out of 10, or 99.9 <laughs> times out of 10, it's not going to do anything. But, you know, at the end, at the end of the code, you, you do think about, okay, what have we not tried? What can we try? Or do we just call it? And so, that, again, I'm harkening way back to OBGYN, which typically probably doesn't deal with too many codes. But I thought that advice was pretty apt. But the resident didn't find it as amusing. Uh, <laughs> But because he wanted us to answer, you know, chest compressions and pushing medications and rescue breathing and whatnot. So he, he was very good, um, but he did provide some insights that I did want to share as well. Um, so one of the things he said is that, and again, everything is going to be different depending on which residency program you either apply with or are rotating with. But he said that at Houston, they will... The residents have a say and they evaluate everybody. So if you apply to the residency program at let's in this case Houston and you did a, a rotation with them, all those residents would get together, I think weekly, and talk about the students who rotated there, who auditioned. So and that's every interaction. It's not just, oh, you have to worry about your pre your your preceptors, it's you have to worry about all the residents, what all the residents saw at any point during your time there. So that's like, you know, time on your phone texting or going on Instagram or whatever, that they could have seen that. If you didn't appear to be hustling or wanting to learn, that was one thing. Like they would see that as well. And he said like a lot of times they're they're pretty relatively forgiving. And they don't have the biggest say, like other people obviously have a bigger, the directors have bigger says, the attendings have a much bigger say in who gets in. But they said that they were looking for people who they wouldn't mind working with. And it's kind of a common refrain. The residents want to have somebody they want to work with. And they said they also were looking for people who were teachable. If you did not come across as teachable, that would be a big red flag for them. And he mentioned that people who had rotated through some of the some of them, some of the actions might have cost them your ranking positions. So that was something I wanted to I guess throw in there. I've just you know hearing it firsthand from a resident. They got evaluations and they did evaluations. They met weekly and talked about everybody. And that played a role in the ranking for that program. Again, not the highest role, but it, it did play a role. And I can't imagine if they came to the preceptors and said, can't work with this person, they're unteachable. And the preceptor, you know, initially thought, oh, they were really good. They all they have all the great numbers. And they would have heard that. They would have just ignored it. I'm sure they would have been like, ooh, not teachable. That's That's a red flag. That's concerning. So... That was, I think, valuable time with a, with a resident. Yeah, and well, I mean, we've we've talked about this before. Like, always go into any rotation thinking that you're always being watched, whether it be third year, fourth year, audition rotations, whatever. Because third year and fourth year, you're hoping to get uh, letters of recommendation. Those hold some weight. You're also meeting residents 
who will be higher up the residency chain when you go through the process. So even if it's not like the first hospital on your list, like Houston is not the first hospital well, on our list. Will we they, they, probably... have, they have a family medicine program. Yeah. And as of right now, we are not intending to apply to family medicine. Right. But like Navicent, maybe. Yeah. Um, so when you're going through that, like a lot of the doctors at Houston, like, like Dr. Jalad works for both. <laughs> she works for Navison, Piedmont, and Houston. So having having worked with even even since like most of your time was at Houston, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all of our time was at Houston. We never went to Piedmont right. or Navison. But even that time, like you, it does affect. <laughs> Other hospitals, right? Because if she writes you a letter, like if you apply um, for Piedmont sure. or Navicent, like she's a known entity there, so they might they, that, that letter might hold more weight at Navicent or Piedmont, right? Yeah. So you just you just want to be aware that, I mean, as much as there are lots of doctors in this world, it is a small world, and <laughs> people know other people, and you get a reputation really quickly. Yeah, it's a small community, realis- realistically. It's not a yeah, and that was something that was reiterated by yeah. the former... The, the former medical, or the former dean of Mercer, I think. Yeah. When we had a, a meeting with him as you know, for the couples. He he mentioned it's a small community. Medicine is a small community, so your reputation is carried forward. You know, you might think that you could move to a different location and kind of shed a reputation, but it has a tendency to follow you. Yeah, because doctors or staff will call and before they hire you and get kind of the lowdown on who you are. Yeah. So. Well, and again, it's a, it's a small community. There's only yeah. so many board certified whatever's in a particular state. And everyone, you know, how many people did wrote, you know, residencies with other people, fellowships with other people, worked with other people, went to school with other people. Like it's a, and then go to the same conferences. So it's a relatively small community. Yep. I, and I knew when I worked at the Vancouver Clinic, some of the podiatrists I worked for, I mean, this is not MD or DO related since they were, they were DPMs, but they were, the podiatrists were like high up in the podiatry food chain. Like they, one was the president of the board and the other one I think was the president of the board at one point, but was now just working on writing board questions for the board exams and reviewing cases because they I think when you apply for your board certification you have to submit a certain number of cases and people have to then look over what you did your notes and your pre and post operative plans and and courses and see if it meets the level that they expect from a board certified podiatrist but and my whole point being is that I, you know, those guys knew everybody because all the applications came across their desk at some point. And then they would have meetings with them or they would have review boards where they would look over their cases and make decisions together. So it's like they, it's again small community. Some people know everybody and most people know somebody. So, yeah. So even after medical school, even after residency, just keep in mind, (laughs) (laughs) What you do affects you long term, yeah? Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I think the only other thing I, I would take from the week um, with Dr. Jalad was she was very good with her patients. I mean, not just keeping them alive and saving, you know, saving people's lives with uh, emergency calves, but she, like, I think one patient was very concerned about sleep apnea, and she went way above and beyond and got the guy an appointment. Like, within the week? W within, within, like, within... 10 days <laughs> like it was like she went above and beyond where i think most physicians and i think this isn't like wrong or anything but most physicians would have said we'll send the referral and they will reach out to you and that's how the process works but in her in this case she she was able to find a phone number call that person get a figure out who was another physician that could do it in a certain city and got that person's phone number called him and explained the situation and said, when can you get them in? And said, okay, great. My office will send you the paperwork and all the details. And we'll, we'll tell him that set up the appointment for that time. Thanks. Bye. Like she went above and beyond for the patient. And I think most patients, she does that as well. She, she goes a little extra to make sure things are going well for the patients. And I think that's a, a very good trait in a doctor. Yeah. She works hard. Uh, <laughs> I think even on Saturday, I sent her a message just thanking her for for the opportunity to, to shadow her for the week. And she was just like, I'm sorry, it was so chaotic. And it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it, I wanted the experience. I wanted to, to know what cardiology was all about. And so I think I got a good understanding. I think maybe... And this is in my, my mind, the wheels turning because there's a part of me that doesn't want to be as chaotic as she was. Uh, she was still getting home around five, six o'clock. So it wasn't like she was. No, but I think maybe, I mean, she's working three different hospitals where if you work less hospitals, I don't think you'd be quite as chaotic. You might, yeah, you might not have as much of a call schedule. So, I mean, again, I think. Most times your practice is what you make it unless you're completely hospital and then somebody else sets your schedule for yeah. you. Yeah. And a lot of things you kind of learn from her. Like, and again, I don't know if I would use all the things. I don't know if I could get away with all the things that she could get away with. But like if, if she asked the patient if they were smoking or not and the patient hesitated, she just immediately jumped on him like, so you're smoking. And it was a constant thing that she would say, like, stop smoking, stop smoking, stop. Like, you would at least, if you smoked, you probably heard stop smoking at least three or four times during the appointment. <laughs> <laughs> so she's very much into that on board of that idea, which is, is good because smoking causes a whole bunch of risk factors that. I don't know. I think that's something you could get away with. You hesitated. If you don't smoke, then you wouldn't hesitate, right? Like it's it's calling people on yeah, their. Yeah, and, their... and sometimes you can smell it too. Like you you walk in the room, you know, and you can smell the tobacco smoke on somebody, and then you're like, oh, do you do you smoke? And they're like, uh, yeah, you smoke a lot. <laughs> of course you do. Yeah. Um, so going towards this week, this week Eric is cramming down as many questions as possible, as many practice tests as possible, because his usual study. My, my three-week study routine is a little off. <laughs> like, usually I would be done with all my eye humans by now. I will have made some really good significant headway on my, on my U-World questions and would be just working for my Anki cards. And I am through, I am through with my, all my Anki cards for internal medicine, so that's good. 
I have three more I humans left, which is three more for this week. And I did take a practice exam like four weeks ago. And I took one again Saturday. So two days ago, mm -hmm. uh, three days ago, if you're listening to this, three or four days ago. Um, and I got passing scores. I would like to get a high pass or honors on this one. That would be uh, ideal for, you know, being the being the thing I want to go into, it would be good to get a high pass <laughs> or honors on it. So I'm really hoping that I can push forward a lot this week and get some headway. So on top of doing my three eye humans this week, my, my current plan, and I've, I've started it today's Monday, so I've already gotten a little bit done, is to do my eye humans, to do UWorld questions. I think I have about 560 questions left. I think I want to do at least one, if not two, practice exams before Friday. I'm not sure how that's going to work. And I was given a link to a video. It's a doctor. It's a, it's a, she's from, I think, University of Texas or something like that. It's a two-hour uh, video where she talks about all the high-yield topics you need to know for IM for your step two. I've gotten through an hour of it. <laughs> in two hours and <laughs> so i plan to do another out you know, finish it off tomorrow i've heard you know everyone who has done it or seen it has very highly recommended it so i'm i'm hoping to do it and that will pay off in dividends another way so and then i'm listening to the divine intervention podcast uh he has some podcasts that are focused on internal medicine specifically so I'm listening to a lot of his stuff just to hopefully hoping that repetition will cement, cement it into my mind. So that is what we're doing this week. And on top of that, <laughs> I am trying to reach out to certain programs that I have re I have applied to. applied to for my away electives. I think I have two messages out there. The third program I haven't been able to apply to because they haven't opened up their program on Clinician Nexus. So I'm still waiting to get in that one so that I, one I opens check. up next month okay I, I keep refreshing every day just to just in case you know but um so i have two messages out to the programs that i have currently applied to and hoping to make some headway this week i have submitted my personal statement to dr zubro for him to look over and he sent me a message back i don't know an hour or two ago saying great i'll add you to the list so that'll be fun i have we have seminars this week on the 2023 match that Dr. Zubro is going to be hosting that we have we have to attend and then I think there's even ACP um, I think it's American College of Physicians it's the internal medicine physicians group or organization and they have a res medical student to residency pathway or transition Q&A so I'm hoping to get on that I don't know if that's this week or next I think it's next week so I'm hoping to get on that Zoom call and network a little bit and maybe ask some questions, learn a little bit, just anything that can help give me a little bit of an edge. So, oh, and sorry, this is actually somewhat important because this actually goes on my CV. Joe Levi, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, he went to the AMSA conference in Washington, D.C. or Maryland. I don't know if it's Baltimore or if it's Washington, D.C., to be honest, but he went he presented research that we were working on, and so now I can put on my CV that it was actually presented. 
we, we don't have any data as of yet, but you know, it's something that we, we wrote up, we worked on and we presented so I can put it on my CV a little bit and maybe one day we'll actually get data um, from the organizations that we asked date for data from and we'll see how it goes. So that was good. I'm, I'm just really appreciate Joe for uh, taking a, a trip to Washington DC to see the sites and <laughs> network, but, uh, <laughs> but really he, he did a lot of work on the poster and then uh, he had to stand in front of it and answer questions and present it to anyone who walked by. So he did a lot of work on it. So I really appreciate everything that he did there. And he, I mean, he, I think he was there to represent the school with a few other students who also were presenting projects themselves. So it was a great op great thing that a bunch of Trinity students were doing. So they all did really good work, it sounded like. so. But especially thanks to Joe for, <laughs> for doing all that hard work as, you know, Lord knows, standing in front of a poster for I don't know how long he had to do it and answering any sort of questions on the topic of pornography and erectile dysfunction can't be easy for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, hats off to him for doing that. That, I think, more or less wraps up the week as far as medical goes. Yep. Got a couple doctor's appointments in there. And then our, yeah. quote-unquote, small Easter gathering that has yeah. ballooned into, I think... I think a I think people asked us at... if we were going to host Easter again. <laughs> and then Karen was hemming and hawing at it. And I was like, just do it. And... <laughs> We're at 17 adults and 16 uh, kids. <laughs> isn't that crazy to think that like, the kids almost outnumber the adults? Like, <laughs> almost. And it's the only reason why they don't is because, like, we invited a few people who don't have kids. Right. <laughs> like, if, if the single people who show up at the party did not show up, we would be outnumbered. <laughs> but that, it, would be, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun last year. Hopefully it'll be a lot of fun this, this year. year. We've learned the art of delegation, so hopefully that that works out. <laughs> Karen sometimes isn't the best at letting things go. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is a week of honesty here, Karen. Set it up yesterday, talking about your your gracefulness and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says I'm such a klutz, and then our daughter takes after me. How rude! <laughs> well, you know, today she she dumped over. So her did cup. our son. <laughs> oh, I was, I was. They both ran into the corner. <laughs> oh, that too. Oh, they're, they're fine. That's why we're laughing. <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. So I've been trying to clean and prepare. I think I've got most of the food. Purchased. We'll have to do an additional purchase on Friday. Just for the, the things that need to be fresher, for sure. Yeah. And then Saturday, I get to go to Atlanta. Yep. Our daughter has an MRI early in the morning, so that's going to be fun. Not giving her food in the morning. She's going to be cranky for you. But hopefully, they'll be back by 2, and I'll have some help before. Hopefully. <laughs> before. Well, an MRI takes about an hour, and they're not going to give you any results day of. No, but... I mean, it's just the process of getting her in there, getting the IV set, and then getting her down, and then doing the MRI, which take probably anywhere between 30 to an hour, depending on what they're looking for and what you know how many slices they're taking. 
yeah, so hopefully just an hour and then we can head back home. And if you want us to stop at Costco. No, you're not stopping at Costco the day before Easter. That's just mean. Hey, whatever. (laughs) That's just mean. (laughs) Whatever we got to do, we can do it. (laughs) No. Um, They have free air. Sorry, that's besides the point. Like you can fill up the air in your gas, your your tires. tires. (laughs) It's a nice Costco. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't know. I haven't been to Costco since before we left the island. It's been like four years now. I know. It's a little bit ridiculous. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that is our week. It's not stressful at all. (laughs) We're not busy. We're not busy. One step at a time. Anyway, so that's essentially (laughs) essentially catching you up for the week. We we still have some projects in the works that we're slowly working on, and maybe we'll get another one or two special projects in the bank before we start the surgery rotation. But for any questions that you have or any topics you want us to have us talk about or just answer quickly to you, you can send a message to Karen on Instagram at MedFamilyMD. Yep. And then, uh, of course, you can follow us on any of the podcasting site apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify amazon whatever um and if you want to rate us on there that'd be great um and then if you want to share the podcast with anyone that would also be great as well but i think that should be good for the week yeah we will see you next week all right bye